I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond in order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. I'm doing a special uh, bonus episode of the podcast today uh, to talk about why it is that I support the liberation of policy, why it is that I'm opposed to the um, of Israeli government's treatment of Palestinian people, um, because I think this issue is clearly very polarizing. I think a lot of people have their opinions. A lot of people have been kind of indoctrinated and, and raised into having their opinions. And often don't know that, oh, it's complicated. I'll never know the whole history of the Middle East. Therefore, I don't really know. I'm just going to stick with what I learned, or I'm going to distrust anything that goes against what I learned. And I think perhaps by sharing why it is that I have, um, that I feel the way I feel as a Jewish woman, uh, will hopefully help some people to understand and maybe shift the way they think about it. I would encourage and invite you if you're listening to this um, and don't already support the liberation of Palestine or are not opposed to the policies of, of Israel's government to listen to this with an intent to actually learn something, to actually understand my perspective rather than listening to it with the intent of shutting it down or critiquing it. Um, because I think that when we go into things with the approach of, I'm gonna to listen to this in order to, to show that I'm right, we miss an opportunity to understand a perspective that's different from ours. You don't have to change your mind, but at least listen to understand the perspective of people who don't agree and people who are caring people. I'm a Jewish person. I, I have struggled with my own internalized anti-Semitism and, and connection to my religion, a lot of which is around Israel. Um, but really, I just want human beings to be treated equally all over the, the world and, and for people to be seen as humans, um, no matter what their identities are. So basically, the I went to a trip called um, High School in Israel when I was uh, in between my junior and senior year in high school. It was a, for me, I did it as a, a summer trip, seven weeks in Israel, and we spent the summer like learning about the history of Israel, going all the way back from biblical times, all the way up to the present. And we were reading quote unquote primary sources and going to the sites where these historical events occurred. And it was a really great experience. We got to be independent. We were living on our, you know, in dorms without our parents before we colleges started. And I also started to notice that we were using the term freedom fighter to describe Israelis who were trying to get Palestinians out of the area, but we were calling the Palestinians terrorists. 
And I was like, that's kind of weird. I wonder what they're being taught. I wonder if Palestinian, Palestinians are being taught about Israelis. And then my senior year in high school, I took a class in uh, an elective in Middle Eastern studies. And a woman came to talk to us about Palestine. And super nice woman and was talking about how people she knows have to bathe in beer because they don't have access to clean water. And meanwhile, in Israel, there's, you know, taking, using water, watering their, you know, making their gardens green and turning the desert into something green. So I heard that and I was like, no, uh -uh, I don't believe that. That's not right. But I heard it and I kind of chose not to, not to believe it. Now, in the background of all of this, I was raised as a Jewish person in America. I'm a white bodied person and there are Jews of all identities, uh, racial identities. There are black Jews, there are um, Mizrahi Jews, there are Jews of all different identities, many of whom are marginalized within the Jewish community because they aren't quote unquote white. But I was raised through my summer camp, my Jewish summer camp, which I loved through, um, you know, in my family, through my synagogue, I was raised pretty much explicitly, explicitly to believe that Palestinians are less than Jewish people or less than human. Um, now, probably if you ask any individual person in my upbringing, if they did that, they'd probably say no, but that's the message that was given to me directly and indirectly. Um, I was told that the, the Palestinians weren't doing anything with the land anyway. They were just wandering it and, and not cultivating the land the way it should. So that was somehow an excuse for Jewish people to come in and, and take that land away because they cultivated it more. Um, I was also told the Palestinians are less than, and proof of that was that other Middle Eastern countries weren't supporting them, didn't, didn't, um, weren't, weren't, uh, sending aid to Palestinians or kind of taking responsibility for them in any way. And I was told, you know, don't support NPR or listen to NPR because they support Palestinians and they have all these stories about what life is like in Palestine and that's crap. I was told that they use kids and women um, as shields. And, you know, they, Palestinians, Hamas, all equated as the same thing, but that they're basically horrible human beings, if even human beings, that use these horrible tactics that put innocent people, women, children, civilians at risk in order to, you know, try to stay safe. Or I guess, I guess no one would say it like that, but that as they do their attacks or as they try to defend themselves, they use kids uh, and, and women, um, put, put them at risk basically just told they're horrible people and explicitly taught that Israeli lives are worth, worth more than Palestinian lives. Oh my, the 10 Jewish people died, 10 Israelis died, even though like 160 Palestinians would die or anything like that. It was always a very huge out of proportion. So there'd be probably like an order of 10, a magnitude of 10, at least um, higher Palestinian deaths to Israeli deaths and, and being explicitly taught that Israeli lives are worth more than Palestinian lives. And there was never really any mention of the fact that Israel, the, the Jews settling in Israel 
which is colonizing Israel, first wasn't called colonizing to us, that they kicked 750,000 Palestinians out of their homes. We were never taught that that was a bad thing. It was it was seen as a victory. We got rid of them. We 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 took over the land. We cultivated it. We made all these wonderful things for Jewish people everywhere to come and have this Jewish state. We saw Israeli Defense Force soldiers as heroes. Um, when I was in Israel, I bought an Israeli Defense IDF um, like shirt, like a fatigue, like a, a fatigue top, not camo, but a fatigue top. I don't think I actually ever wore it, but I bought it. They were seen as invincible, pre preventing us from being unsafe again. And Jewish people have been marginalized for a really, really long time. But way before the Holocaust, Jewish people have been marginalized, growing up as a Jewish person, kind of seen as weaker, um, certain stereotypes around Jewish people. So to have this like fairy tale of like, we're strong and we're invincible and no one can beat our government or our, our military it, it felt really good to have that in my life. And I can't speak for other people because I, not other people, but I'm quite sure that I was not alone in feeling that. And there's also this sense that like, it was our birthright to be there. There are actually programs called birthright that invite Jewish, you're allowed to come once in your uh, like young adulthood as a Jewish person to come to Israel on these trips. And I don't even think you have to pay for it. It's like, Intent, in, implying that it is our land has always been our land is no one else's land and no one else lived on there and that we inherit. So you go to Israel as a Jewish person, you can automatically get citizenship automatically. I don't know if there's any questions asked because I've never gone through the process, but Jewish people are always able to become citizens in Israel. So that's kind of the background of what I was raised to believe many Jewish people are raised to believe. And, and there's more to it. I'm sure there's stuff that I'm leaving out. Now, actually, in, in reality, I didn't understand the situation. I didn't understand what the what Gaza and the West Bank were, how they were governed. I thought it was all mixed into Israel. I didn't understand that like, there was two, there's kind of, well, there's three things, but really two things. The first thing is Arab Jews and I think some Palestinians who actually have Israeli citizenship, I'm not hundred percent sure about Palestinians, but there are some, and there are some non-Jewish people who have citizenship in Israel. And I don't know if they are all of them Arab or where they are from. I don't know which percentage of them are Palestinian. So those people who are actually Israeli citizens or who live in Israel do have some rights. I think they can vote. I think they have representation in uh, the government. So, that perspective, I believe it's around 20%, those people are treated fairly well from what I can understand. And I think a lot of Jewish people think that that's what pro-Palestinian people are talking about when they're talking about the way that Palestinians are mistreated in Israel. And they're like, what are you talking about? They have voting rights and they're represented in government. These are the people who live within Israel, who are allowed legally to live in Israel. The second part is... Gaza and the the uh, the West Bank they're separated geographically and those are theoretically Palestine but they are not and they they elect their own government but they are not actually in control of their own lives um I I've, I've read about this and I actually spoke with I started to hear about this and I spoke with friends of mine 
who I trust, who I think are, you know, quite trustworthy, reasonable, smart people who have families who live in Palestine. And, you know, when I first met at least one of these friends and I heard them say something about Palestine, I was kind of like, Ooh, we're just not going to go there because it's going to get awkward because I have like non-traditional feelings about Israel, but it still felt weird for me to hear people talk bad about Israel. It's like, like, don't talk bad about my mama. Like I don't, I can have these opinions, but anyone else having those opinions, it really made me bristle. So we just didn't talk about it. But then I reached out to her and she told me what life is like for her family in Gaza. She actually married a, a Palestinian man and, and has visited several times. And, and I also have um, spoken with some other people who have family in Gaza. And they explained what life is like to me. This is not propaganda. This isn't from the news. This is like a direct source of people who have been there and seen what it life is like on the ground. Palestinians living in the West Bank and Gaza are not able to come and go freely from Gaza. They are not able to enter Israel without very restrictive passes. And evidently there's different levels of passes that allow people to come and go with different le different levels of restriction. Um, Gazan people can't just go into the West Bank if they want to. It's not connected geographically, but they're, they're, they're considered sort of separate. Um, Israel restricts water. This is before this war. This is just, I think for the last 17 years, it's gotten really, really, really bad, but it's been bad. Um, they restrict the water. They restrict the electricity. They restrict the food that comes in and out. The Israeli government restricts the ability of Palestinian people to trade, to import and export. Um, and there's not supposed to be Jewish settlements in Gaza and the West Bank, but the Israeli government keeps supporting more and more settlements to be built in Gaza and the West Bank. And what they do is they go in and they take land from Palestinian people who are living there, who are working on their land, living on their land, have other jobs. They go in, they take their houses and they kill their kids. They kill their wives. They kill women and children and older people and take their houses and live in them and take them as their own, kick people out of their houses with no warning, with no reason other than we're taking it now because we think it's ours. So this whole thing that only Hamas uses women, you know, kills innocent women and children and treats people um, like they're not human. Mm -mm. This is happening on the ground all the time in Hamas, in um, Gaza and the West Bank. And I learned that the 750,000 people who were kicked out of Palestine by Jewish Israelis, who again I was raised to like love and idolize and 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 support. This was a humanitarian crisis. This was kicking seven hundred and fifty thousand people, displacing seven hundred and fifty thousand people into. I don't I don't actually know the specific places they went. A lot of them went into a diaspora all around the world, and some moved to other places uh, of. Palestine. This is called the Nakba, N-A-K-B-A. This is a massively important event in Palestinian history, massively traumatic historical event in Palestinian history. Seen from that perspective, rather than the Israeli perspective is, oh, we got rid of them and they're like, we conquered them. This is a displacement of people who have not been allowed to go back to their homes. Gaza and West Bank 
doesn't, they were kicked out of parts of actual, like what's considered now to be Israel. And they have never been allowed to go back to their homes. So I've heard about the impact of that on Palestinians. I've, I've, I know that this is a thing that happened. And I see that this is an apartheid government. This is a government, the occupation of Gaza and the West Bank by the Israeli government or by the Israeli military treats Palestinian people as, I don't even want to say second-class citizens because it's not second-class and they're not citizens. They do not have rights. They are completely controlled in all ways. They are, you may have heard the term open-air prison that's what it is. Very small amount of area, very, very crowded. And people are not, do not have agency to live the lives that they are allowed to live, um, that they should be allowed to live. And a lot of people say, oh, you can't use the word apartheid because there's so much anti-Semitism in the world. Unrelated. True, true, unrelated. There is anti-Semitism in the world and it is really harmful. And there is an apartheid regimen in Gaza and the West Bank. And so I went to a, um, there's an organization called Showing Up for Racial Justice, which is a white-led organization that, uh, an anti-racism organization that um, is, focuses on helping white people find their place um, to support the work being done by communities of color. So they had a Jewish caucus. This was probably a couple of years ago when the last um, more, more, notably aggressive fighting happened um, in be between Palestine and Israel. I should also say that there have been many nonviolent resistances um, done by Palestinian people and they get shot and they get killed by Israeli army. Many, many, many times. It doesn't get media coverage. No one hears about it. They're called terrorists all the time, but they have tried many, many times to resist peacefully. So I went to this uh, surge showing up for racial justice, S-U-R-J, Jewish caucus. And there were all these other Jewish people on the call who felt the same way I did. And we were all just devastated. And Jewish people were sharing how they went to Gaza. And by the way, Jewish people and American people can come in out of Gaza, come in and out of Gaza however they want to. So if you're driving in a car with a bunch of Palestinians and you're a Jewish person, you're an American person, you'll be able to go through, but they're going to be subject to searches and all sorts of um, things that, that violate their privacy in terms of, of de dehumanize them in terms of allowing them to cross the border. Even if, even if they have a pass, they don't always get to get through. So they were sharing what it was like for them. And I just felt like, oh my God, like I am not alone. I can love my religion. I can be, I can be proud of being Jewish and I can oppose what's happening in Israel. And I, it, there doesn't have to be one or the other. There can be both. And I learned about organizations such as Jewish Voices for Peace. And if not now, um, there's a podcast called the Diaspora Podcast, which I listen to. And it's like two Jewish women who are like explaining basically what I've explained, how they were indoctrinated um, into being pro-Israel, anti-Palestinian, and, and then kind of interviewing Palestinians and talking about the history, what Zionism is um, and is not, um, and talking about other anti-Zionist movements from the past. So this is not the only time people have been opposed to being Zionist, and a lot of them are Jewish-led anti-Zionist movements. So I felt like I'm hearing this from people who I 
who have had like pretty much the same background as me. This isn't propaganda. This is real people, real life experiences. And I started to realize as I'm an anti-racism educator and I've been working for years and years and years on my own internal process of understanding whiteness and how it, how, you know, anti-blackness shows up in me and other forms of racism and bias, I was kind of realizing like, I can speak up for that at this point. I can honor my own mistakes as a white person, but I have had yet to be able to speak out about how I felt about Israel because I was so nervous. I was too scared to speak up. And that's when I realized, holy crap, I have to speak up. This is, I am so compelled to speak up because staying silent is what keeps um, systems of oppression in place. So other things to think about are the fact that there's obviously trauma in this space. Um, Jewish people, as I mentioned, have been marginalized and oppressed and treated horribly for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Holocaust, I feel like, is kind of where that came to a head and really was um, obviously very tragic. And I think it's important for us to do this concept of holding space for more than one thing to be true. And many of you listening have heard of this before, but I can hold space for the pain of the Holocaust and I invite anyone listening and I invite the world to hold space for the pain of the Holocaust and for the history of anti-Semitism and all the trauma that that has caused. And also for present anti-Semitism, not just history of anti-Semitism, but, but anti-Semitism in the present, synagogues getting shot up, all of these things and holding space for that and the reality of what Israel has done in that region for the, for the sake of its own safety, understandably, but what it has done, how it has kicked Palestinians out and how it continues to mistreat Palestinians, how it continues to debase and dehumanize human beings who live in Gaza and the West Bank and and continue to oppress them in the name of their own safety, in the, in the name of Israel's safety. One of the things that I've learned in my work learning about trauma is that people who are oppressed can identify with and then become oppressors. So I think it might be kind of confusing for Jewish people because a lot of times we identify as like, I'm a marginalized identity and like, no, I'm, you know, maybe we, we come to the point where we understand, okay, I'm, if, if we're white Jews, then we understand that like that gives us a certain level of privilege and there's a lot of nuances there, but we still have this identity of being an oppressed people. And I think when that becomes, because of trauma, that becomes part of an identity, it then becomes like almost an existential issue to allow space in for this thing that I identify with so much which is Israel and Jewish people, you know, created for Jewish people to feel safe is now doing the things that caused us harm to begin with. It can be a, a, a big, um, like a big disconnect. Um, there's a word I'm forgetting, but like, it's hard to, it's hard to believe that those two things can be true because they seem to be so at odds with each other. And so what do we do? We go with what's easier. 
we we stick with Israel is there to keep Jewish people safe. Israel can't do anything wrong because Jewish people have been harmed. And there's this kind of wool that we allow to stay over our eyes so that we don't see the truth of what is going on. And then there's this, any anti-Israel sentiment or critique of Israel is shut down immediately because they're saying it's anti-Semitism. And it's important to recognize that a critique of Israel is not the same as anti-Semitism. There's a ton of anti-Semitism in the world. And there are people who critique Israel who are anti-Semitic. There are also people who support Israel who are anti-Semitic. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I think it's really important to recognize that while anti-Semitism is bad and is a real thing and very harmful, it is not the same thing as being anti-Israel or, or critique of Israel. So there's also the issue of who are the people that support Israel. These are people who often don't care about Jewish people at all or might be actively anti-Semitic themselves. There's lots of people who support Israel who are not at all concerned about Jewish safety. There are lots of people who do care about Jewish safety. And there are people who have a, a mix of both. They care about Jewish people. They don't want people to die. We don't want Jewish people to die. But they have other concerns and other stakes in the region. What are those? So oil. Having a proximity to countries that have the oil, having a foothold in that region of the, of the world is very important to Western countries, especially the United States. The second thing is, quote, you know, protecting, quote, unquote, democracy. So Israel is, quote, unquote, a democracy, even though its current leader is pretty much fascist, very right wing, um, and, you know, kind of aside from all of the things happening in Palestine and the treatment of Palestinians, the current Jewish government, Israeli government is trying to decrease the power of the judiciary to increase the power of the um, executive branch of government. So they're not really a democracy because there's all sorts of problematic things there. Now, you may argue, oh, but the U.S. is a democracy. I might take issue at that, but we often, our country often will um, support other quote-unquote democracies or other governments um, to, but to further our own power or influence in a region. So it is not for the good of Jewish people and the safety of Jewish people that the United States has in the past and continues to support Israel. The third thing is Islamophobia, um, which exists on an interpersonal level in the United States and also kind of worldwide that the, the um, Islamic countries are seen as you know, less than, brutal, all sorts of things. And I'm not suggesting that those countries don't have their problems because all countries have their problems. I'm just suggesting that there's a lot of finger pointing by us suggesting that the United States is perfect. And then the final thing that not any, I'm not hearing people talk about, and this came up for me, I was uh, on the airplane yesterday on my way back from the, uh, I went to DC yesterday to march with Jewish Voices for Peace to demand a ceasefire. And the guy on the plane next to me was watching Fox News. And they were covering the uh, protest. And uh, Rashida Tlaib was speaking beautifully, beautifully speaking. I mean, love, compassion, peace, 
humanity. And I see the captions that she's spreading terrorist uh, messages and stuff like that. So I see the way they are presenting it. Now, Fox News, the the, the political right on the US, their, their stance is clearly pro-Israel here, but they are very many of them anti-Semitic. And I think it's bananas to realize that like the, the Christian right wing and evangelicals actually believe that Israel needs to exist in order for there to be the second coming of the Messiah. Like that's an actual belief. So there's a, a movement of Christian Zionism, which again has nothing to do with Jewish people, but it's keeping that part of the world, uh, the land of Israel, clear for sort of as a God's chosen, a belief that God chose the Jewish people to be in this area, which that's a belief. And also because it is the next step towards the second coming of the Messiah. So again, this is not in support of Jewish people, and it might actually be anti-Semitic in a lot of ways, but they support Israel. And so what happens is that, that you know people ally with them and say, oh, well, they're supporting Israel, therefore they must be good. So the more I see and I read and I learn from Jewish people who are opposed to the Israeli occupation of Palestine, the part-time government there, from Palestinians who they, they themselves or their family have family members who live there, hearing how they're treated, from other anti-racism activists who I really trust, who can see that this is all part of a larger system of white supremacy, of racism, of settler colonialism, the more I read and I learn is the, the more I can see that Israeli policies are wrong. They're racist. They are dehumanizing to Palestinian people. They are destabilizing the area. They are not making it safer for Jewish people. They're making it less safe because there continues to be this ongoing war I feel that Palestinian people have a right to not be completely controlled by a government who does not believe in their humanity. And there's all sorts of arguments. Well, they say that we shouldn't exist and they say that this, I don't think every Palestinian in the world says that Jewish people shouldn't exist. So I think that we have to take all this the war that's happening now, we have to take it all in context, understanding the trauma that's around this for Jewish people in different ways, the trauma that's around this for Palestinian people, the, pro the trauma that's around this for other people who have been um, uh, colonized, who have been kicked out of their, indigenous people who have been kicked out of their land. This is bringing up trauma for everyone and seeing the similar threads. I feel like for me as an as a anti-racism educator and someone who strongly believes that we need to eradicate systems of oppression, I have to call it like I see it. And even though it's complicated and even though Hamas does horrible things, Israel does horrible things too. And we have to be honest about that. And we have to come together in order to see that the, the violence isn't helping anything. And the trauma is showing up and it's making us other each other and it's keeping us from uniting and it's keeping us from actual peace. Do I know all the answers to peace in the region? No. Do I know all the answers and all the history? No. But I know I've heard the propaganda, the pro-Israeli propaganda. I was bathed in it. I was raised in it. And 
it's going to be the same arguments that people say over and over again. I invite you to invite those people or invite yourself if you're one of those people to just think about what it looks like on the other side of that propaganda and what that propaganda, the harm that that is causing to actual human beings that have families, that have friends, that have jobs, that have beating hearts and love and senses of humor and a desire to live in this world um, and to be seen and to be heard. So those are my thoughts. I hope that helps anyone listening to understand at least my point of view. And if it's shifted any of your point of view, I would love to hear about it. And if you have hateful messages that you want to share, I invite you to keep those to yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.